Hello. And uh, welcome back to Imaginary Advice. Uh, yeah, last month I um, I asked listeners to help me come up with a, uh, a subtitle for this podcast. Uh, you know, something that would help unpack the uh, the themes of the show. Uh, and um, yeah, thank you to everyone who submitted. Uh, I haven't actually made a decision yet, but um, it was great to receive so many ideas and really really useful to 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 hear what what you think this podcast is about uh so great thank you uh thank you so much yeah they were really good imaginary advice solutions for problems that never existed imaginary advice dispatches from the airing cupboard imaginary advice the podcast about the war between truth and art Imaginary Advice. Another space to inhabit. Imaginary Advice. You'd have to be a genital to not listen. Imaginary Advice. Your agony aunt for a phantom pain. Imaginary Advice. Advice for people who don't need it. Imaginary Advice. Not an advice podcast. So, if there's any in there that you like, um, let me know at rossgordonsutherland.gmail.com or rossgsutherland on Twitter or through the Imaginary Advice Facebook page. And it's not too late. If you'd like to add your own contribution to the list, uh, yeah, please do so. Well, this, this, this episode is going up a little bit late and there's, um, there's two reasons for that. Um, number one is that I've... Uh, fractured my wrist so currently as I speak my right arm is completely in a cast so uh, I have to do everything with my left hand instead that might well be the case for the next 4 to 12 weeks Um, I don't really know yet Uh, the other thing uh, which is holding me up is because I'm currently writing a 30 minute special for um BBC Two, which is going to air on October the seventh um, this autumn. I, I'm, I'm absolutely stoked about this. Um, it, 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 it's an amazing opportunity. Um, what's going to happen is on that night, seventh of October, uh, it will actually be twenty years to the day that I was in a car crash. And so this is how I'm deciding to mark the occasion. Uh, it's by telling the story on national TV, but. Um, because I don't like to make anything easy for myself. Um, I'm telling the story in a very unusual way. What I'm going to do is I'm taking the episode of EastEnders that aired that night, that was actually airing at the same time that the car I was in was crashing, and uh, I'm going to take that episode of EastEnders and I'm going to remix that into the story of my car crash. Yeah, so, uh, so the BBC signed off on this before the piece was written. So uh, I'm now in the middle of development. It is absolutely terrifying, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. It is slowly coming together. Slowly, but it is. Um, despite having 
to do everything with my left hand. So depending on how the next few months go, maybe I'll even do like a podcast episode especially about this or maybe I'll do a commentary track episode when the thing comes out. I don't know. But anyway, that, that's, that's the reason that this is all going up a bit late this month. Uh, so, sorry about that. Anyway. Uh, I've been thinking some more about the themes of this show and just how often uh, that I've talked on imaginary advice about um, the ways that human beings employ storytelling structures to help them make sense of their life. I think that's a subject that I um, I keep coming back to again and again. There's um, there's multiple episodes where I think that's the, the main thrust of it. Uh, Welcome to the Big House kind of touches on that. In the Beginning is kind of about that. Uh, Hug Freddy, Casino, Exit. This just seems to be a subject that I obsess over like quite a lot and yeah I I suppose it's also relevant to this new tv thing I'm writing as well so last week I had a visit from my friend Tim Clare Tim is a writer he wrote the fantasy novel The Honours in 2015 which is this beautiful psychedelic horror story uh think Downton Abbey but with minotaurs uh, that's the that's the basic gist of it. Anyway, uh, Tim also runs the podcast and blog Death of a Thousand Cuts. Uh, the basic premise of that is that people send Tim the first page of their unpublished novel for him to pull apart and critique. It's uh, really funny and uh, brutally honest, but it's also like incredibly useful to any writer, uh, and I heartily recommend. Uh, listening or reading that. Um, all in all, uh, Tim is a guy that knows a lot about stories and story structure. So I thought it would be great to get Tim on the record talking about the function of storytelling and how and why we use storytelling in our everyday life to help us make sense of things. Tim, I, I barely need mention, is a fantastic, very lucid talker. Um, we spoke for about an hour in total talking about things like the Stanford prison experiment and apocalypse cults and the potential existence of Santa Claus but I just want to zero in on a particular part of our conversation which was about the um, the, the rise in popularity of role-playing games inside the uh, the universe of HP Lovecraft and uh, the popularity of, uh, of, of, of that type of story. Stories that, in fact, on the surface, don't seem to help you make sense of the world, but uh, actually seem to be pulling in the opposite direction. I, I've been thinking a lot recently about the growth and the popularity of H.P. Lovecraft... And particularly role-playing in the Cthulhu expanded universe, right? Yeah. Where the background is there are giant, like, tentacled elder gods whose thoughts are completely unknowable but are not human in any sense, who want to consume the universe, not particularly out of any malicious desire to cause pain, 
but just because they're completely indifferent. Their motives make no sense to humans. Yeah. They're just an, an, an abyss, yeah. aren't they? They're, they're, it's, it's, a, it's an emptiness. Yeah, an empty, crawling abyss. And cultists may make sense out of it in a kind of a skewed way, but like ultimately, and also ultimately, implicitly, they are unstoppably powerful. There is no way to avoid. There is no way to avoid this. You can't even pronounce their name. Yeah, yeah. Like you, like you pronounce your name, you'd go insane. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I love that. Yeah, yeah. So like, yeah. The bottom line is like, you can't understand it. If you do understand it, you go irreversibly insane. And and and, and, and so like, it is it is a, a universe that is explicitly built on nihilism, and everything being me- meaningless. And I was speaking to players, and I was like, going, uh, you know, what is like what on earth is the appeal and all your characters are fragile you can just be killed like in one punch yeah. or falling out a window it's not like you can yeah. be resurrected like it's you start horrible. attacking each other yeah. you like you completely your motive just changes on a on a heartbeat it, exactly exactly you go you, you go insane and if you stick around long enough and you don't die you you will be driven insane by it instead and you will be unhappy right so what is the point of playing and and a lot bit and I was speaking to a couple of players and they're saying well some weeks like we're stuck in a building and we've got to try and get across the street to another building without dying. And if like three out of the four of you manage it, it feels like a big achievement. Or like some some weeks we just like, we save like one person from like being eaten by, uh, by, by some kind of like fungal alien. And, and that feels like an achievement. And, and, and it, is a, it is explicitly a game out of making small islands of meaning and truth in the midst of this existential void. And at that point, I'm kind of like, yeah, I guess that, like, you can... That is heroic, that there's this element of it that is... that is defiant, that says, like, none of... Yeah, we know, we know this is futile. And yet... And yet we're still going to save this cat. Yeah. <laughs> because the alternative is just, just like, like your endless kind of like disconnected chaos. Yeah. Which, which you see characters all around you in the game embracing. Yeah. Like where people go, I, I like embrace this nihilism. I embrace this chaos. And it is about this small threading of kind of narrative sense on, on the lip of this, of this black hole that's just sucking everything into it. Imagine if, like, imagine Scooby-Doo in a kind of Cthulhu <laughs> universe where just, like, every reveal is that, like, that God is dead and that all actions are ultimately meaningless. We found Thelma in the cellar, trying to remove her own mask. She told us, it was time to find out who she really was. The symbol was here too, written in blood a hundred times over. We need to find out who drew this, I said, pointing to the wall with my blood-stained hand. Ah, right, it was me. Something happened, and I was alone, on the beach holding Fred's scarf and revolver. Two weeks since we came to Black Haven, and all life before here had faded to echo. A flash of Paisley, jokes in the van that I last saw deep in the forest, half buried, 
Soon, we were dreaming of the lighthouse and murder, waking to fresh wounds, bell bottoms muddied. Even I, the gourmand, lost my stomach in favor of studying the flames. Zoiks, zoiks, zoiks. fire. Did it ever mean anything to me? Zoiks. Another word for oblivion. I thought I was friends with a dog that spoke English. Or was that the nightmare? The endless corridor of madness where every door out is a door back in. I buried Fred's gun in a circle of stones. The moon, eye of a paralyzed god blinking semaphore over the waves as the ocean filled me with its dark instruction. I rose from my knees, stabbed myself three times, went to the library, set it on fire, I could hear Daphne's shotgun over the terraces. Fred stood naked on the church roof above me, and I thought to myself, we are so close to solving this mystery. Though, in truth, the mystery was busy solving me, my mind flattening like a dead man's equation. The coat hanger straightened to Jimmy the lock of the reel. Now, I open the fridge, no knowledge of what waits beyond it. Every step, every breath is encrypted. Time marked only by the sweet smell that rises from the padlocked cellar just like the pear tree at Berkeley, waiting for my seminar, hoagie in hand, the gang trading notes on property law as the plaza filled with placards and music. The sweetness of youth, of free speech and hunger, and every day stronger. can be driven to do something that if you if you were sort of just beamed down into the middle of it would make 
would make no sense at all, but there's such a strong kind of like uh, narrative overlaid that it can it can it can be huge. I mean, that's yeah, that's. Uh, uh, it was uh, Victory Frankl did built a whole. He was a Holocaust survivor who built a whole uh, form of therapy that he called logotherapy over. Like he wrote Man's Search for Meaning, and this idea that if you can find it, any kind of meaning, that is your way back to recovery and to which, which seems obvious. But like at the time, you know, with uh, you know like Freudian psychoanalysis and stuff, the actually it's kind of it's it's very circular the logic of like being it doesn't give psychoanalysis doesn't really give you a, a reason for existing it gives you a load of frustrations that you're fighting against but it doesn't give you any purpose and you know he famously his the phrase he used to ask people before uh when they first came to him for therapy was why don't you kill yourself with the thinking that if someone had any answer at all then that is the beginning of yeah. like of going Ah, yeah. Here is here is a meaning to your life that we can now start teasing out, and yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't mean like he di he didn't like do it do it in a sneering way. I assume <laughs> like, it, but it was this no. idea that he that, that you go, why don't you kill yourself? And as soon as someone had some kind of answer for yeah. that, and uh, yeah, and a gap. A pause can only last so long, and then there has to be a rush of inf the information has to come in. Has to come in. Has to come in. So, um, that's all from Imaginary Advice this month. Uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, I think I'm going to upload the entire hour-long interview with Tim as a special bonus episode for um, my patron subscribers. So, if you donate any money to the podcast from $1 on up, uh, you should get a download link to that interview in your inbox very, very soon. Uh, if you'd like to sign up to support the show through Patreon, um, please do. Uh, I, I, I really need the help. Um, I will put a link to the um, to the Patreon page in the liner notes of this episode. And uh, if you sign up uh, anytime throughout June or July, then I'll also I'll send you a link to this interview as well. Um, I think it's an interesting discussion. Tim moves through a, 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 a whole bunch of ideas. Uh, gosh, I, I mean, I could easily come back and write a whole bunch of poems based on the amount of stuff that we got through uh you can buy tim's novel the honors in all good bookshops i heartily recommend it uh check out his death of a thousand cuts blog and podcast also um again my name is ross sutherland thanks for listening <laughs>